You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. Good day, budgie smugglers. A budgie smuggler is like a banana hammock. It's a Speedo that men wear. It's like a nylon uh, container for your junk. And yes, we are down under. We're in Australia right now. Toby, Joey, me, Dave, Josh, all of Emory. We're over here doing a festival, and we're doing a Bad Christian show later this week in a bar in Toowoomba. And also, Toby and I are leading worship at Easterfest on Easter Sunday, which I have no idea how that's going to go. And we have no plans for what we're going to play or do, but we got a few days to figure it out. So I'm really happy over here. We're having a great time. But I am sad not to be stateside to be more involved in the Abandoned Kansas pre-order, which is launched now. So now you may have noticed the trend here that we like to do podcasts. We do po- help other people do podcasts. We do these pre-order campaigns for our artists. But that's because it works. We like giving people more stuff, more things to listen to, and better ways to get to know the artists. So likewise, Jeremy Spring of Abandoned Kansas has a podcast that he's already been doing for a while, and he's going to premiere a new song on on his podcast called Dead Space, and that's going to be on Tuesday. So keep your eyes peeled for that. He's going to have his producer on there, listen to the track, and that's deadspacepodcast.com. That's the same place you can find the pre-order packages and pre-order the disc or the digital download t-shirt or whatever, deadspacepodcast.com. That's where you can find everything. Yeah, so also, May 19th, it's been announced. That is the release date for Emery's new album, You Are Never Alone, May 19th. And additionally, track two is played on the episode of the Break It Down podcast. It's premiering today at altpress.com. You can go over there and hear track two from our new album. It's a really heavy song. It's a really fun song. I cannot wait to let everybody hear it and see what kind of comments, good, bad, whatever. I just can't wait to hear some response from our new song. It's called Thrash, and it's at altpress.com. So thank you, everybody, for supporting BC Music and its artists. We're on a real tear lately. Pacific Gold's album came out. It did well. Abandoned Kansas, Getting Ready, and then Emory, the big shebang. Oh, yeah, and if you're in Australia, come see us in Sydney tonight or catch the Bad Christian Podcast live in Toowoomba on Thursday or Emory Saturday night at Easterfest or Matt and Toby Sunday at Easterfest. Three, two, one, <laughs> dead. She was a fast machine. She kept her motor clean. She was the best woman that I There you go. Now you found your voice. There you go. You found your voice there. You didn't give us any applause? Yes. That's like the saddest one ever. Welcome to the Bad Christian Podcast. We're in Australia. Where there's an outback on every single corner. It's all, it's all Foster's and Outback it's down here. It's unbelievable. And, and all, all the music is ACDC. Toby. Everybody carries huge knives. That's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's koala bears on every single telephone pole. Ten very dangerous spiders in every hotel room. We're happy to report that we made it all the way down here. We've been here for about a day. We've been traveling for over 36 hours. There's a Dave, kangaroo in our Powell, damn hotel our, room. Dave Powell, our drummer, still is not here. He got delayed a whole it's, it's day a in L.A. So, But we have made it. So welcome, welcome. And everybody. as soon as we got here, I'm sitting, you know, I'm kind of unpacking my gear and a little bit of stuff. I look over. Joey is basically in his underwear clipping his toenails. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought to myself... 
you traveled 24 hours by plane, and you at no point did you think, hey, I don't have to bring toenail clippers. I could do this at home. But like I told you, you waited till Australia to get, you gave Australia your gross toenail clippings. What what I told you is I did not pack it. It was already in my bag. I keep toenail clippers in my bag. I took my socks off. I realized that I had some long toenails. So I was like, might as well clip them. You always have a backup pair of toenail clippers, no matter what situation. They're just go- in my bag. They're in my book bag. It's a it's terrible. I okay. feel bad for Australians. They have to clean up. But your, you did your, do a pretty good gross. job of packing light, though. Overall, yeah. Toby was so pr- you were like so proud of me. We I got really the airport. Was. He only he only brought one yeah. backpack. I mean, no, inexperienced travelers are unbelievably yeah. notorious at overpacking. So. Yeah, they usually have giant suitcases and all the stuff. And when Joey showed up with just a backpack, I thought that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, it, it, normally you're right. It's a giant suitcase with on four wheels plus a, a carry on bag and another bag and all that stuff. I, th- I think it's because you're a dude. Girls, I don't think could travel. I've seen plenty of dudes first time on tour bring the most. Yeah, that's true. Luggage. So yep. good job Scratch on that, Joey. That. Oh, Everything you do isn't stupid. You're good at thanks, pack, packing light. Thanks. Although you know you could have trimmed down the toenail clippers. I do suppose. Yeah, but I yeah. Can okay. you apologize? Apologize for what? To the Australian nation. I'm for sorry. I'm sorry, Australia nation. I will uh, go to a couple outbacks tonight and. All right. Feed your so, economy. So this Australian episode is also brought to you by our Australian sponsor, X3 Watch. <laughs> X3 who would have known? Who would have thought? <laughs> They're everywhere. They're global. They've global. gone global. You know, Joey and I were talking uh, on the way here. I, I believe it to be true that airports and like Target are the, and Target. <laughs> are the number one places where it feels like beautiful people, especially airports women, Target? Are, are there. Yeah. Uh, it, like... I, when you're at an airport, it's basically just people watching. Like you're just traveling, and there's just all these people going different places, and it, it is really tempting to take second looks. And Joey and I actually had a conversation about that, saying, "Hey, man, especially because you're on a trip, you're just having fun, you're yep. you're tired anyway." I mean, Joey and I did a 12 hour flight, and then exactly a few hours later, another 12 hour flight. And so I think for us, um, it was nice to have to go together because I think that kind of kept us a little bit of a, accountable. Cause if I was by myself, I, I think I'd just be bored and be looking around and not even necessarily thinking about it as much. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I think because Joey actually brought this up. He's like, Hey man, you know, I, I feel like I'm struggling a little bit to, to not take a second look at a, at a girl's butt or, or face or body or whatever. And I, I had to admit, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of there with you. And I think that just saying that out loud kind of held me a little bit more accountable. I was like, yeah, I need to be a little bit more aware of this. Cause Sometimes I don't even realize it. And that's why I think X3 Watch is good too, because I think sometimes you don't realize how easy it is just to take your thoughts sexually, just to a sexual point, like even just a a sidebar picture of a girl in a tight T-shirt or something like that. And I think X3 Watch helps you because it's really awesome. It keeps you accountable because it's like, yeah, don't go here, don't go here. Because if you start at that small spot, it can go. Accountability really is a mindset is the way I would put it. So digital is part of it. Technology is part of it. Real life is part of it. They're not separate. But yeah, traveling with other people, being aware of your environment, all those things are true. They're also true in the digital realm. But for sure, accountability is just a mindset in general of, of you know not being isolated and alone with the stuff you choose to be, who you choose to be with, look at, and do stuff like that. Travel is difficult, and I understand the airport uh, thing because. Um, well, first of all, you folks need to just go on, if you hadn't gone yet, to x3watch.com forward slash badchristian and sign up today. It's online software to monitor your internet browsing and hold keep you accountable and block websites that you don't want to visit. So you've heard us say it before. If you haven't got it yet, go get x3watch.com forward slash badchristian. I came up with this new like little catchphrase. If your wiener becomes a boner, you don't want to be a loner. 
<laughs> I love that. <laughs> so I, 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 the reason why I think you see more pretty women on, you know, at the airport is because airports are really only travel uh, are you know they're kind of a higher class thing. Yeah, and I want right? to clarify so, too, there are tons of ugly women in the tons airport. Of yeah. Ugly yeah, women. We don't want to stereotype, but they're better or, looking people in airports because they're the more affluent people that can yeah. fly. So when you like the opposite of that is the DMV. Oh Lord! Because then it's every every single person has to go to the DMV. You don't have to, you know what I mean? That's true. I was at the DMV about a month. ago. Like if you ever exactly want to know, right. and I say this all the time, but you no struggle. It's it's crazy because you you spend your whole life in a culture. You're in your church. You're in your uh, small group. You're at your job. You're at the gym. You work out at. Or you're at the airports. You're at the, you're at the culture that you actually choose to be around. And nothing makes that more apparent than when you go to the DMV because that literally is a random sampling of your population. Right. Yeah. And you, it's so crazy because I would never be around people this ugly or stupid or right. whatever it is that you think. Like Applebee's, that's a safe zone. You're not going to go into Applebee's and there just be a bunch of... Well, it's the people you're self-selecting because you're going to, you go to Applebee's with the other people that go to Applebee's. So whatever right. your culture is, you, you're self-selecting wherever you go. You go where people like you would go. And yeah. that's what you see 90% of the time. But that one day when you have to go in the DMV, yeah. all of a sudden you're seeing, oh, this is actually representative of my population. Yeah. You know what I mean? But So I understand that the airports could have prettier women, but I'm a little lost on your Target analogy. Because think about it this way. I mean, that's only like one step up from Walmart. No, no, you're no, saying no. it's the, no, like the, yeah. the hottest girls. No, no, no. My it's, point, it's my point is it's, it is a step. Walmart is a great idea. It, it Cheap purchases and all that uh -huh. stuff. So, But people feel bad about it. They don't feel as bad about Target. So I think upper class people go to Target more than they do Walmart. If you go to Walmart, that's a random sampling of your environment yeah, and also so, the lower sure. lower income and everything. But I think Target is a little bit so nicer. Are, you, are we saying basically with all that that poorer people are uglier? Is that basically the You the actually takeaway? said that. You said people that are more affluent are more attractive. I didn't agree with that well, at they, all. Well, they maybe work out more. They diet more. Well, they, no, no. Know, here's what I maybe. think. I do believe there is something to be said for if your family's rich and you're, you're a guy or a girl, they, they want you to marry somebody who's of the same status. And usually a rich guy gets a prettier girl. Yeah. I mean, that just does happen. I mean, it, it, that just does happen more than a poor guy getting a rich girl. But there's I mean, a, a there's, good looking there's girl. tons of poor people that are maybe not put well, it could be made over and then they would be beautiful. Like, you know what I mean? You could yeah. take them out. I mean, I, Joey's middle class and he's ugly as hell. Yeah. I mean, you are one of the ugliest people I've ever seen. Hmm. I mean, very ugly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we have uh, we have out today uh, also the Break It Down podcast is out today, and I wanted to say uh, for episode two is out. So I wanted to say thank you unbelievably to everybody who listened to it, who comment on it, it, who commented on it, and everything. So first of all, it's a it was it's been a great success because I know it has the new Emery song on it. So that's been so. I just want to let everybody know how happy I am to finally be having this music out and be able Me to talk too. about it and show it to people. But the Break It Down podcast is was number one on iTunes when I landed here in Australia. So, so it was the number one it, number one on music charts. That is. So I think that's just. Totally incredible. I really want to thank everybody for it. And we got to um, play that song. But Toby, what do you think about the comments? On, I've been blown away. One? Usually I try, last year or two, I've tried to stay away from reading comments because they just make my head explode and I uh, get into fiery anger. About music and Yeah, just, Christian? I mean, people talking about our band, people talking about Bad Christian. I mean, it's just such an open forum just to smash you. So I, I'm, I just choose to stay away. But I was like, oh, I just want to check this out. And I overwhelmingly couldn't believe how the response, especially for the new song. Yeah, I can't believe it. I mean, it. It, the song's called Rock Pebble Stone, and it, 
so many people said amazing stuff, and I'm really excited for him to hear the next one. Yeah, that's what I think is going to be cool because the next song is a lot different and really one of my favorites as well, just like that one. And so I think it's going to be really cool for people to hear this whole album this way. So, but the what's crazy is the first song is Rock Pebble Stone. It has no screaming on it, and it doesn't even have any distortion guitar. So I was nervous putting that out first and letting yeah. it be the first one, but overwhelmingly positive comments. Yeah, why? Totally. Why is that? Are we not that we're not known for being a heavy band? What's the, what's yeah, the we are, but I think people. I, I, I mean, honestly, not to toot our own horn, but it's a great song. I mean, it's, yeah, a, it's, it's neat. I, I like the song. You know what I mean? I, I what like do you all think, our songs, Joey? Why? I mean, do you, you think that's representative of the album or a weird move for the first song? It was a weird move for the first. Yeah, song? I mean, like, think. Okay, look at it this way: all of our albums have one of the, the most aggressive song first. Is kind of what we've almost always done. There's walls, and then. Uh, the question starts with So Cold, which is super pumped up. And then Only a Man has got uh, Rock and Roll is really yeah. heavy and Cutthroat Collapse. And then on The Shovel Glass. That's what our openers have always yeah. been like. In your yeah. face, here we are. That's kind of what we've always thought. On this one, we put the softest song on the record first. Yeah, but I think I'm Only a Man And it's is, been well received. So. Yeah, I think I'm Only a Man is really your only exception to this rule. And that is there is some commonalities between all of your albums. And people do like the pretty and the heavy. So I don't think it matters as much, honestly. I think, I, mean, I don't know. I'm really, really thrilled about it. But Toby said about the next song... Um, and Joey, thank you for letting us talk about some music stuff a while. That's part of what we like yeah. to do on here. We've been talking about, what, Christian culture for like 60 episodes in a row. Well, we finally got some <laughs> new music. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about that a little bit here. But too. do you guys think I'm like bored? Well, you're, the pa- you're a pastor. Yeah. So oh, okay, that's why yeah. we always talk about like Christian stuff. Otherwise, you, you know, Toby yeah. and I don't really... Yeah, I don't, hey, just so you know, for the listeners Toby to, no, and I don't care about that I stuff. Just check, it's just for you. Joey's checking out his phone right now, and I just, I just happened to glance at it. He, 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 he's a little bit uh, uh, busy checking out... It says, how many calories are in seven donuts? <laughs> yeah. So, sorry, he's not totally with us right now. Actually, yeah. Anyway, mind. speaking of the new song, I'm going to play a little of it right here on this podcast. Hell yeah. Because you know why? This is what I'm so excited about in the general way is that we can do whatever we want to. We can release the music whenever we want to. We can let people Woo! hear it. So just on a whim right now, I just told Toby and Joe before we start this, I can play some of our new song right Do whatever here. we want. So that's what we're going to do. So I'm going to start this song. We can talk a little bit over it. But if you want to hear the whole thing, you can go over to Break It Down Podcast. Uh, at altpress.com yes, is featuring can. it today and you can uh, you can hear the whole song uninterrupted plus a ton of commentary from Toby and I oh. but heavy stuff this song is the most hardcore song we've ever written I think. let them hear it a little bit oh my gosh Joey told me he listens to this before he preaches sermon, his last sermon. Yeah, this got you pumped up. Yeah, it's a song about forgiveness, a, a, a sermon about forgiveness. I'm sorry. So I'm glad to get this out there because it does show the, the, the balance of it. At least the whole album is not soft and rusty. Some of it is extremely aggressive. But I yeah. love it. So, been very excited about that and all the stuff we got going on. The Pacific Gold album is out. This is just a time now for us where stuff is like, we've been working for like a year, getting this podcast going and everything, and now things are like starting to feel like it's paying off and really moving. I know, we've been working forever, and now we're finally getting to see the fruits of our labors. Well, you know, a huge uh, aspect of all this is all of us started watching uh, Benny Hinn sermons. Like as a motivation. That's turned shit around big time for us, hasn't it? (laughs) So... (laughs) Nice segue, Joey. <laughs> now, Matt, we, uh, Toby and I were hanging out with some um, 
uh, older an older demographic of our church. Just okay. To, uh, My insertion here, everybody, is see what I mean. I want to talk about music for a minute, but right back to Christian culture for the pastor. <laughs> I got it. Sorry, we went. Sorry if we went too long on the music talk. Yeah, it just. I apologize me. for that. Yeah, <laughs> certainly. All right. <laughs> so uh, the the conversation uh, Benny Hinn was brought up. You know who Benny Hinn is? Oh, I know who he is. I do. So um, he's the guy that knocks you out and with the, his hands. Yeah, and there are some really cool YouTube videos. Yeah, so There's one where they put up. a lifesaver. Yeah. yeah, those are funny. <laughs> but anyway, huge debate on whether or not he's even uh, uh, the real deal. How he gets his miraculous powers, if he has, yeah, that sort of stuff running through him. But one thing that happened that was really funny is someone brought it up while I was talking, and I turned to him immediately and said, yeah, I think he very well may go to hell, and then went right back into my conversation. <laughs> and Wait, why did you tell somebody that Benny Hinn was going to hell? <laughs> just just to be kind of trippy, but I also think that there is a possibility that he's totally used by evil. Like, uh, there may be... You're saying there's a possibility he's totally good, and there's a possibility he's totally evil. So you, there's a possibility that, may, that he's just very weird and has got some stuff wrong and is doing some stuff that is weird, but he's our Christian brother, or there's a possibility that's... Uh, uh, I think there's a possibility that he's a Christian Satan. brother, and he's so locked into pride and self-serving purposes that he's opened himself up to evil forces using him, and he still may go to heaven because of his faith being in you Jesus. Do, you don't think he's genuine? I, you're just saying there's a possibility it's totally a sham uh, in every way. Uh, I don't think there's even... I, I think he is definitely has impure motives now. Yeah. What percentage chance, if you had to bet, will he go to hell? <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe That's 10%. <laughs> You're horrible. You're terrible. You're terrible. I, You're a no, pastor. Just, You're supposed to want everybody to go to heaven. You I would, just gave him a 90% chance. <laughs> yeah, but you would bet 10% of your money that he goes to hell. I didn't say hell. anything about money, and I didn't say anything about being happy about it. <laughs> okay, so what, okay, so you were where, and you told somebody that he was going to hell? We were at a Mexican restaurant, and so then we get into this big conversation about uh, Benny Hinn, and it just brought up so many different questions and, and uh, observations. Like, first of all, the scripture where it said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will go to heaven. You cast out demons. We cast out demons in your name and all that stuff. So brought up the point that God can do stuff even if it's a messed up person because people are going there looking for God. We also brought up the power of the mind and just how people come expecting a miracle. So maybe they get it to some degree. But I watched a YouTube video and it's a former guard of uh, Benny Hinn crusades and stuff. And he said, for sure, there are people that come and they ask them some questions. Okay, uh, what's your what's what's your uh, ailment? And they say, "Well, my shoulder needs healing." They say, "Can you lift your hand up at all?" They said, "No, I can't even move it." They say, "You're not coming up here," because basically they need for someone to at least have some mobility. So Benny Hinn so can say you're they, healed and then lift their arm up. Because so when they like that. get the adrenaline going, it actually could have some effect that could be right. demonstrable. Right. They're not letting somebody out there that's actually paralyzed. Right. Yeah. But but here's the the big thing that I just cannot believe believe that we can be so blind to even saying this, one of the observations was, well, look at all the people that are getting healed. Obviously, God is using this man. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like... I mean, they did yeah. a they did a you know investigation on it. Multiple people have done full investigation. They say there is no evidence that anybody's ever been healed. I mean, right. I mean maybe yeah. healing would never have evidence in that way, but I, I, don't, I don't know. But here's something that I think is interesting. Um, I didn't even know you were going to bring this up, but I just had seen it. But I heard on Joe Rogan's podcast, I think it was, about he always talks about martial arts and karate and stuff like that. So there was apparently, according to him, I don't know the story directly, but there was a martial artist 
guy in somewhere who, who developed like a cult following. Yeah. And he would say that he had like special powers where he could like blast people and make them like th- like do stuff where like on a video game where you blast them and they go flying backwards and stuff like that. And so he developed this whole cult like thing. And he was this like God like leader there. And he was doing these things, and, he, and the people that he would go and fight, they would go flying backwards. He would just sh- shoot his hands at them like electricity would come out, yeah. and it would just blow people away and stuff like that. And the, the guy apparently, like you'd think, oh, it's just all set up in a scam or whatever, but the guy apparently actually really believed it, so much so that he had been on this island, all these people had been playing along with it so long that he believed it, and then he went and actually into a martial arts fighting thinking he had special powers <laughs> and got completely destroyed. Like It was really oh. sad. But he clearly thought... Yeah, when I do this with my arms, people go flying backwards. Because yeah. ma- the people oh were playing into it psychologically. <laughs> yeah, right. And so that's the same as like a preacher getting healed. Somebody can look up that story. I don't have any real facts on it. But right. that, that the people wanted that to happen. And so yeah. they wanted to be under the this master sensei. So when they would go up to him and he would go, wah! Yeah. They, would, they, they were doing it. But he it got so bad to where he didn't even realize it was not true. Yeah. To where he put himself in danger and got his ass kicked. You know, yeah. because he, so I, there's a distinct possibility you could think that somebody that's doing healing like that really believes it. Like each and every time they're thinking, I am, did you see what happened? It happened. Yeah. Like, yeah. He may be deceived that so, it's even really happening. Or not. So let me ask y'all this. And, um, you know, there's a lot, to, Toby being our worship leader, he checks out a lot of YouTube videos and stuff to see if we can play a certain song and that sort of thing. So we see worship leaders all the time. And Toby and I were talking about a worship leader that we observed online. And he basically said, I asked him, I was just like, do you think that guy is, is genuine as far as ha- all the crazy things that he does on stage. And Toby emphatically, immediately, no, no way. Can we just observe someone's actions? Because, see, I look at Benny Hinn and just how he just has this swagger on stage and just yeah. like, boom, boom, boom. I'm like, there's no way there's humility there. There's just no way. Yeah, like, can we observe someone and sometimes basically say, yeah, I know his heart also. Because <laughs> everybody I mean, says you I can't judge so. someone's heart, but I think sometimes you can just look at someone and what they're doing physically and be like, yeah, there's something. Like the, the worship leader that we saw online, Toby, I mean, there was just like certain moves and all that stuff. I mean, well, the, well, the, the thing about worship leaders doing that is, I mean, you have to realize that is a show. What you, is the you, kind of stuff that they're doing? That well, you know, like some people, like if you watch, like there's a, you know, some people... Uh, have certain hand movements or they jump up and down or they dance on stage or they do Uh this stuff. My only point is, to a certain extent, you cannot feel that way every time about a song that you're singing every other Sunday. So you're just saying that you're certain. I don't know about judging the heart, but you're saying you're just certain that 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 is a show and it's manufactured. I I hope that they realize that 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 is. I mean, sometimes the music... I've sung songs a million times and the music moves me. And I've even you know felt very emotional on stage singing the song and all that. But I'm saying not... Sometimes I'm just playing a song. I, I, I can't... In that case, I, I, do you fake it? It is manufactured to is an it, extent to because my goal is to represent what can be possible in worship. But here, That's here, what I, here's so the, I think they're they're doing that. But my, but Joey just asked me, is it all, totally authentic? I can't say the yes because I think for sure there's times where it's not. But here's for, the devil's advocate, Toby. You have a great work ethic, so you show up on a Sunday morning. You feel like complete crap. You and Jessica got in a huge argument. One of your kids is sick, throwing up, and you're just like, the last thing I want to do is lead worship. You will step up to the plate, and I could bet you $100 that worship will go as good as it always goes. Is that you being inauthentic? Uh, like, are you being a fake? Well, I think to an extent, I do. There, there is no way that anybody would be happy if I was up there and not really into it. 
Well, then what, what's the difference of I'm, someone having certain moves? And I mean, it's they the do same that thing with time. Emory. I mean, I, when people watch an Emory show, they think, man, these guys are going off. But, I mean, I've, I've danced around and screamed and jumped and crazy to walls for 15 years. So, I mean, like, sometimes it's fun still, but I am doing something that I'm getting paid for. And, I, I mean, worship leaders get paid to lead and do a performance. So I think it's okay, but I, I don't think it should be considered, oh, this is super authentic, and look at this guy's heart of worship right now. That that seems a little bit fake to me. That part does. I think we should be able to say, yeah, this is, we're putting on a show. The pastor's putting on a show. He's, he's, he's up there talking, making everybody – I mean, it's like a comedian. A, a comedian tells the same jokes every night – and pastors preach sometimes five sermons a day, and they're telling the same joke and to get the same reaction and fill the crowd. Is that okay but, though? It's fine. Yes, I'm saying yeah. I'm saying it is okay. But, that, but that's what Toby thing. says all the time that I think is really interesting and compelling is exploring the idea and making it known that this thing is a show. Like it bugs it bugs Toby and I sometimes because we think when you hear people talk about church, they have to use a church terminology. But when Toby and I are working in church often, we'll say stuff like, oh yeah, but the crowd was this way. Yeah. And then the yeah. people, the people will go, uh, uh, you mean congregation. Yeah. And yeah. I go, no, I mean crowd. Yeah. yeah. You know, or like, you know, you're putting on it. I mean, what I'm trying to say is it should clearly be acknowledged yeah. that the preacher, the worship leader, everybody, I mean, to some degree, you are putting on a show. Yeah, and other, it is entertainment to some degree. And otherwise, the preacher... super w- resist that, but I mean, you could justify it. Yeah. I'm not saying it's fake or it's and, wrong. And but point proven by the more entertaining your service is, a lot of times it ends up being the biggest church in town. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? The less entertaining is the smaller church. Or why else would a pastor start off with a funny story? Right. Uh, their sermon. I mean, they, they yeah. do that. I mean, there's rules there's, of speaking, and right. that, that's what they're following. They're they're following yeah. entertainment, and I mean, just like a TED talk or something. You know, whatever it is, you're being entertained. You might be giving great so information. So church is a show. I think so. You I, think, it, but like a show, like oh, they're just putting on a show. Like that sounds like you're saying it sucks or it's fake. No, I just think we should it acknowledge should it, and that's okay. Yeah. But yeah. could the, could there could there be? Obviously, there's good motivations for putting on the show because you think sure. then people will maybe, come maybe back. Maybe not. I mean, I don't even know. But I mean, you can't even start not. there because everybody's like so serious. And then there's all like that's the thing I don't understand. Like, I mean, if you want to break it down to be honest, not to steal from the Break It Down podcast, by the way. But if you want to, I mean, there's a formula that most churches, at least modern non-denominational churches, I guess, are, are kind of follow. I mean, there's a uh, three songs on the front. Uh, either the assistant pastor or another person usually comes up and talks for a little bit. Then there's the sermon. Then there's a time where you have to think about it, and it's called response, or it's called, you know, just, and it's kind of down, and then it the last song picks it up, and then you leave. I mean, it's just like there's a formula. So why is this, if there's a formula for how to do the show, it's the same thing as if you do a comedy show, this com- comedian's going to come up first, then this comedian, then you're yeah. going to do this improv thing, and then you're going to, and that's how you do it. Yeah, and but so, I think a pastor would say, yeah, but our motivation is lost souls. So we're, we're there's, there's, but, okay, who changes that to justify anything, though? Right. I mean, no, I, agree. That, I, I, I agree. A comic shows uh, their motivation is to make money. I mean, you have motivations to do stuff. So you, that doesn't mean that you should be, oh, man, but our, we're winning lost souls. So that makes you so much better than anybody. No, you're still putting on a show. So, Matt, let yeah. me ask you this, because you, you've led worship too. How much, of a responsibility do you think is on the worship leader for people to worship? Like, do you feel when you're leading worship, hey, if people are dead, this is partly on me? Here's what I believe about wor- being a worship leader. I don't even believe in the title, right. really. I don't like it. I When I am have been on stage, if I could, say, if I could say whatever <laughs> I wanted to say, I would say worship is all the time. Worship is the whole service and not the service. I really believe in that principle where you're worshiping all the time, either the true God or you're being, you're worshiping some other idol. I believe that's all the time. So I think it's not right to refer to the music leader as a worship leader. I think when I'm I'm on stage 
doing music, I just want to say, hey, I'm just here to do singing. It's not a big deal. I like singing. You like singing. God created us to sing. So we're just going to do some singing. That's right. all this is. I want to de-emphasize it. I hate the way it's trying to like, now it's this. This yeah. is going to happen. I need to be inspiring with this scripture and my lead in. I seriously want it to feel like take me out to the ball game when everybody voluntarily sings because it is fun and it feels good and everybody likes it. Because well, I believe that God created everybody to sing. I don't think you can find any person in the world that doesn't actually like music or want to sing. The grumpiest old man, I guarantee you catch him whistling or in the shower singing or something. Yeah. Everybody likes it. You're created to sing, and it's no big deal. Yeah. That's what I think. So I mean, de-emphasize worship and music. When, when Toby first came on staff at Seacoast, we had a lot of these conversations, and I think he's at a good, uh, happy medium now, but I used to get very uncomfortable because Toby would seriously almost heckle people for not worshiping. I mean, it's almost like <laughs> he was not chast- heckle. Uh, to some degree, you, you've even what, admitted uh, that you're a little aggressive. I'm not knocking you. Yeah, I'm you. aggressive, I, but I mean, that, that's my point, too. So you're taking the responsibility. Obviously, Toby is saying, if these people aren't worshiping, this is no, kind no, of no. on me. Or otherwise, you wouldn't say anything. Uh, no, my point is... If I walked into any show and the people are just standing there looking bored out of their minds, then it's a bad yeah. show. And so yeah. that's what I'm looking at. Like I'm, I'm just like, man, people aren't into it. What I mean, why are you here? Are you, are you literally only here for Pastor Greg? And I wrote a very good blog post about this that I love, and I can't wait till that comes out. But uh, I really do think, honestly, most people wouldn't care if there wasn't music, or it was just kind of on the side, and it was just there, so you could say there's music, and maybe you sang a little bit, of it, and then you get right to that sermon, and you're yeah. in and well, out. So, so what Toby's saying is, is it's irritating to see people that way, so he feels like it's his job, and I do too. I feel like my job, if I'm leading music and singing, as I would call it, my goal is to loosen you up. Yeah. Same if I was a stand-up comedian or the speaker. I want everybody to go, hey, 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 everybody just chill out, tap your toe, wiggle around. I don't care what you do, but you know, this is not uptight. Yeah. We're singing. It, it might be, I don't know, just loosen up. Yeah. That is my goal. If I'm, I want everybody to be disarmed. It's just another thing, too, serious. Yeah, which I try to tell people. Because they I, would I, like to sing. Right. Where you say it's not like, I'm not saying you need to worship and raise your hands and do the serious job of praising God right now. That's yeah. not the way I feel. I feel like, hey, if you guys would all just chill out and loosen up, we'd all have a good time here. And it would honor God, and we, we, we we're going to sing some songs to Him. Loosen up. This you should you should because you li- you like it. I guarantee you, you'll get out of the car, go sit in your car, turn on the radio, and sing along with it on the way out of church. Totally. Yeah. So you like singing? Let's do it right now. The only reason people don't sing is because the person to the left or right might hear them, and they're right. really embarrassed. And so that that's why I'm like, it's, church isn't safe. You're not allowed to worship freely in church. Yeah. Or, so or that's sing the worship leader's job is to, in my opinion, chill and those same people out, would go to off. a football game and and do the wave, and they Absolutely. would cheer, and they'd be eating food. And That's laughing right. and cutting up, and it'd be so awesome. The person over there yelling, you'd be dying laughing. They just yelled at the quarterback for the other team. It'd be f- fun. Is the church the church is c- cult job to make like, the culture uh, be the way they want it to be? So yeah. if you have a stiff congregation, that is probably your fault. That's almost not even worth getting into. But I don't. I just don't like making that jump because there's some people they I love wor- the jump. They worship better by sitting down and bowing their heads. I mean, you take a whole denomination. That's fine. I'm, if I'm if you walk that, into a Catholic mass, no, you're okay. not going to say, "Come on, guys, pick this shit up." No, no, Man, you guys are bored. Hang on. What I'm saying is what what the people are should feel is free to do what they want to do. And I'm telling you, people like to sing. And also, if that's the case, why in the world are we playing songs that are rocking 
and nobody's rocking. Okay, let's just play sad songs that you can work that you can quietly worship to. Okay, I'm down with that. Too. People in church should but feel I'm saying, free. Is but what I'm but saying. people want to play these upbeat, poppy, really rocking songs. And I mean, you've even told me that as our pastor. Hey, Toby, the formula, which you didn't say formula, but that's what it is. Hey, Toby, that first song needs to be really upbeat, and then you kind of bring it down. I mean, you said that. Yeah, but I've gotten away me. from that. No, majorly. you haven't. You, you told me that three weeks ago. No, you I said, did not. man, yes, you did. You said, hey, we played a really upbeat whole set, and you're like, hey, man, that's really good. I think we need to really start incorporating that a lot more. You did say that. Oh, to me. yeah, but you, you just, you <laughs> just said it. You just, just said something busted. totally different. You said, uh, you start off with this. That's then what you, do you that. said. That's what you mean. You want I, to play a really upbeat song and then keep it kind of rocking, and then you, you bring it down a little bit, but then that third song, bring it back up. And, right, I mean, but how many times? And then have, always, how many times the, have I told you? The fourth song after the sermon has to be down. How many times have I told you I want to get out of the box? I said that works, so let's do it a little more often. No, you said we need to start incorporating that probably once a month. You were just saying, yeah, that's twenty five percent of the time. That's let's listen to this, Matt. Uh, you said it. <laughs> that is what you wanted. My point is, why play any rocking songs if people don't want to worship that way? I don't. It, it's it is not fun to play a rocking loud song and people aren't into it. All right, so okay. so you've got a good visual of me on Sunday mornings. You're facing, uh, and I'm usually in the front row. If you move into a more energetic song, but I'm still sitting down. If with every my head, time, hold on, let me just ask this: no, I'm still th- sitting there with my is, head bowed. Is that offensive to you? No, it's not offensive. I'm saying I can tell. I, I'm not offended by somebody bowing or somebody standing there, but. I also see faces that are look won't even yeah. look me in the eye, yeah, are looking right. left and right, and are completely unhappy. And I guarantee you, if every time you got there and did your announcements and nobody laughed or responded at all, you'd be like, "Oh, this is awful." That's where I'm at. That happens a lot. I know, but your jokes are really bad too. So <laughs> you, that's what I'm saying. Is my music really bad? I mean, maybe maybe that's what it is. Maybe it might be all on me, and I'm a terrible. Joey, worship do leader. you write a joke like every time you go? Okay, this will be the funny. No, thing. I wish no. to God he would. <laughs> <laughs> he just tells uh, very awkward, uncomfortable jokes and then laughs. He's capitalizing on the nervous tension and the um, uncomfortable yep. tension in the room to cut for a, a laugh. Listen, listen to this. I used to, uh, and I think I've gotten better, but you can ask Toby. When I would go up there and do what Toby mentioned as response time, so the band's up there, they're about to play music. I'm up there transitioning from the message to response time. Toby used to tell me that it didn't matter how far he stood for me. I would figure out a way to accidentally hit his guitar or elbow him. And one time after service, he's just like, dude, I'm losing my mind. Why can't you stop touching me? Like every single time, you have to do your hands wide open. But I, I think like it, it is a. I mean, the system is. We made a joke about it. Call it campus pastor disease. But like, there's that time to talk. <laughs> you know, after the head guy talks, then oh, you know yeah. the campus pastor gets time to talk, and it, it He's goes for to there. Squeeze it in and there. Then, that's and, his time. Yeah, that's the that's the time he gets to talk. I'm just saying, it's all a show and a setup, and each there's a formula to it. Yeah. And if I could write it down right now, and we could go to ten different churches next Sunday. It'd be a perfect bracket. But you <laughs> I, mean, I, I want to break out of that. That's why we've had a response time up front before. So I, I, the only wow. thing that if, <laughs> the only thing that what if you didn't have a response time for one year? Right, that would be breaking out of well, it. Well, you say wow like that, but that's a huge deal at Seacoast. I know, to do that's anything the point, out of the ordinary. That's exactly no, the point of my wow it, is okay. you change one little thing, and here that is, is my point. Here's my point. Seacoast, our church, is called to do stuff a certain way, so that's what I do. That's what I think is right. Like, right. And, I, and we've talked about this before. Like, there is a response time. There is. They light candles. They they pin uh, prayers to the cross. Uh, they do communion every Sunday. They do all this. There's a there's a formula to stuff that that our church does that 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 works and is proven to work and that they appreciate and even have a calling to. I'm okay with that. That's part of the 
the program, if you will. You know what I mean? That's what they do. So I'm totally cool with that. But that's what I'm saying. I don't even think you should change it. I, we've had this conversation before. Yeah, that's all. That's moving all response it is. You just earlier. Moving response earlier doesn't change this response or anything like that. Now I think it was valid, and the time you did, I thought it was cool. It, it set a tone for our church that Sunday. But I think Seacoast and churches do things a certain way. But my point is to go back to the original question you asked. Hey, that guy that we're looking at uh, on the internet, does he? Uh, you think he's authentic, and I'm I'm saying sometimes probably, but there's definitely times he's not, mm-hmm. and that's just because it is. You, you have to. It doesn't matter. I mean, you know, how many pastors are sick and vomiting and go preach. I mean, they they push through not because they want to, not because they they're obligated. Like I'm supposed to do this. I'm going to push through and do it. And that's sometimes you have to do the that. The solution here is not hard. It's actually really simple, but it's just not easy. And that is that. This any format or show that exists is I'm not even I'm not even criticizing it. I'm only criticizing the right. fact that it's the only one that exists. Yeah. I think there needs to be that. There needs to be the I mean, there's a few. There's like the total liturgical churches and the evangelicals seem to kind of go this way or whatever. But I think there should be sixty five hundred different things that exist and they just don't. That's the problem. But it's hard to create something new. But people need to create church stuff, meetings, gatherings from scratch, not. Right. Well, we here's what we do. We move the response time up front. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I would like to clarify too because friends, listen to this. I love our church. I'm totally satisfied and under what they do. Like I they I, each church has a certain way they do things. I will clarify that. You and cut I, yourself after every worship. No, but so. but I mean, you're making it seem like I'm just so pissed off at the congregation on this. I didn't not, mean to be. But, I know that's but, not the case. But my point would be I, I there there are times where I'm like, man, nobody's into this. Is it, is it me? Am I doing a poor job, or do they not care about the music and all that stuff? Anyway, back to this. Our guest coming up right now, Frank Viola and Mary DeMuth. They just wrote a book, and uh, Frank changed my life a lot with his first book, Paying, Paying Christianity, so we're going to talk a little bit about that too. Let's bring him on. Hey, guys, this is Dan Koch singer and guitar player for the BC music band Pacific Gold, and I want to let you know our new album, Sing My Welcome Home, is now out on BC Music. It's an album of 11 tracks of rewritten hymns. We take lyrics from old hymns and write all new melodies and music and everything. But rather than spending a bunch of time talking about it, let's just play some clips from the album. The new Pacific Gold album, Sing My Welcome Home, is now out online, in stores, pacific-gold.com, iTunes, all of it. Now, are, are both you guys in Florida? I'm in Texas in an ice storm. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> Frank, you're in an ice storm too, right, down there in Florida? Yeah, right. <laughs> no, not quite. Uh, it's about 80 degrees here. Oh, how, oh. How, 
man, I know, I'm in Charleston, South Carolina, and it's like 32. Really? And sl- yeah, sleeting rain and stuff like that. So it's it's cold here as well. Now, living so far apart, how did, how did you guys meet up and, and write a book together? Something called the internet. Oh, man. <laughs> you, wait, you used it for good? I thought the internet was only for evil. <laughs> well, <laughs> the, the verdict's out on just how good or evil this book is, but we did it all through email, mostly in phone. Wow, that's an interesting way. So uh, you guys, uh, one person comes up with an idea and then helps, or how, how do you do that? Because like Matt and I, we've been in a band forever called Emory, and um, so writing songs together is tough. I mean, and we're in the same room together you know, for, <laughs> for, for most of it, and so somebody will come up with an idea, and then like Matt might come up with all the music, and I come up with all the lyrics and melodies, or you know, I come up with some music, and then we write the song together. But you guys did this totally via internet and phone and and emails yeah that's and thankfully um it was pretty easy because i was writing the fiction portion and he was writing the nonfiction portion so there was some pretty clear delineations there oh that's awesome and the book is called the day i met jesus the revealing diaries of five women from the gospels and it comes out on march 3rd um now, what I want to just to start with here, because Frank, I was uh, just, uh, and we talked about this a little bit earlier. Well, it's been a, a month or two now ago on the phone when I, when we talked about getting you on the show. But um, I was leveled, and I, I think you probably get this a lot because you're like, I, I've written all these other books, and people a lot of times want to talk about pagan Christianity all the time. But that book, it got me, man. Like I, I was, I was going to a mega church. And I, I don't even know how I heard about it. Just some friend or somebody, you know, had read it. And I was like, I'll, I'll give that a shot and, and, and read about that. And that book, it just really got me. I mean, I was like, wow. It, I just thought it was so interesting. And then, uh, and I read the edited, the the one, the revision that you did with, with Barna. But, um, and so I just thought it, it was so awesome. It was so challenging. And I love the idea of just challenging the norm, like just not ex- accepting like, well, this is just the way it is. And that's just why you do it. You know, my grandparents did it. My parents did it. And so that's what I'll do. I'll, I'll go in to the church and there's a sanctuary and I, I do this, this, and, and, and like, it, it really called me to own my Christianity more. And mm-hmm. so my first question is, I mean, just being in Florida and, and even being that Bible belt area, what gave you like the balls to write a book like that? geez that's a good question you know it's interesting because when the book first came out in 2008 george and i were getting hate mail from quakers and bodily (laughs) threats from the amish and you don't mess with those people (laughs) dangerous (laughs) oh yeah it it was something else but um you know we both felt like it had to be said and we wanted to provoke God's people to question their traditions, yeah. uh, which is a healthy thing for us. And, you know, the book has a question mark at the end of it. Um, is Christianity in its present form really pagan? It, has most of it come from Greco-Roman traditions, or is it a development from what it was in the first century? So yeah. that's what we explore in the book. And, you know, I got to give it to George. He really had a lot more to lose than I did because, yeah. you know, he had he had the ear of virtually all the evangelical pastors in America, and he knew what was coming. And uh, somebody said to me, Frank, if you write a book with George Barna, you're going to be famous. And my reply was, if George Barna writes a book with me, he's going to be crucified. Yeah. <laughs> and in effect, you know, he, he lost a lot of support. But on the other hand, the book has really helped a lot of pastors, especially. 
and leaders to reexamine what they're doing. And so we've seen that the ultimate fruit of it has been good. So with that, basically the pushback on that was people saying that you, you, what you did was an all-out attack on churches and megachurch and the system and the way that we put it all together. Is that how it was seen? Yeah, that was part of it. Um, some, some of the reviews were, quite frankly, nutty. And, you know, we, um, we basically um, pointed out to people why we were writing it, you know, to, to, to provoke people to, to question um, mm-hmm. what we're doing. And, um, you know, some people took it personal. Um, interestingly, interestingly, though, that many of the people who first were vehement against us and misrepresented the book, and by the way, the book is, is labeled the most reviewed book by people who have never read it. <laughs> and there's actually, if you go on YouTube and That's look awesome. up Pagan Christianity spoof video, you will see a brilliant video responding to the critics who never actually read the book but warned, <laughs> warned everybody against it. Uh, but a lot of those people initially, you know, they wrote us letters some years later and said, you know what, I actually got to read the book and this has helped me because it's caused me to go deeper in the scripture and to ask questions I never really asked or I was afraid to ask. And so, you know, we're, we're thankful for that. What it did for me was I was a little, I was scared when I read it a little bit or I wanted to, I was ready to disagree with it is what I felt at the time. And I, and the criticism I would have had for it then was that, uh, well, yeah, but if you take this whole thing and make it more just, you know, try to tear it down, then how is that productive? Like, how does that just to show where people are wrong and what we might have taken from the other thing or, or maybe open the door for house churches and those types of things? Well, that's never that's not going to be effective enough because we need something that can unite everybody and become really, really large. And subsequently, I'm yeah. less a fan of the larger things that, that we do in Christianity that are, that are as broad and all-encompassing. So the criticism is, well, if you want to do house churches and these things, well, you, that's fine. You'll have six people in your house, and you'll never impact anybody outside of that. <laughs> and that so that's kind of what I felt at the time, but now I kind of feel almost the opposite way. So it's grown on me over time yeah. and some of the notions that are in there. Do you think it's helpful or appropriate to attack? Like It's not an attack, I'm saying, but... What about the people that say what we're supposed to do is encourage the pastors and the leaders and the big churches? We shouldn't be trying to poke poke at them or get we should we should be encouraging. So why would we be negative? What do you say to that? Yeah, well, I think there's a difference between attacking and challenging. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think it was John Stott who said that an authentic evangelicalism will go to the scripture and question everything we're doing in its light. And, you know, there's the old story of the mother who was teaching her young daughter, uh, you know, how, how to make a ham uh, for Easter Sunday. And basically she, she took the ham and she cut both ends of the ham off. And the daughter said, why do you cut the ends of the ham off? And the mother just fell silent and said, you know what? I don't know why I did that. Let me go ask my mother because that's what she always did. So they called grandma on the phone. They asked her the same question. Why do we cut the ends of the ham off when we put it in the oven? And she fell silent and said, well, I have no idea. My mother always did it that way. <laughs> so all three of them, or yeah, they, they, talk, they talked to the great-great-grandmother and said, why did you cut the ends of the ham off every time you put the ham in the oven for Easter Sunday? And just like that, in, in lightning speech, she said, well, that's easy. Because at the time, our oven wasn't large enough 
to house the ham, so we had to cut the ends <laughs> off. And, you know, that shows the power of yeah. tradition. Yeah. And, you know, Jesus himself said when he was on the earth, remember, he said, it is through your traditions that you nullify the word of God. That shows you how powerful tradition is. So, you know, to challenge and to say, hey, what are we doing? Why why are we doing it? Where did it come from? To me, that is a health helpful thing to do rather than just to ignore it. And so that's why we we raised the question. And, you know, it's really a historical book. And the other point, too, is it's it's not a standalone book. Pagan Christianity was never to be read on its own. There's a sequel called Reimagining Church that's the constructive sequel. That's yeah. the companion volume that shows, okay, well, if a lot of what we're doing really didn't come from the New Testament or Jesus or the apostles, what should take its place? And so that's where we explore that question. And, and I, I, I love that too. I, I just the, the thing I like about it the most is if you believe something, read something that challenges you. You know, like like we we say this all the time on our podcast. Though, if you just are believe the exact same thing since you were like seven and that you'd never changed, you're not growing. You're not doing anything. And I don't know if you're really influencing any anybody either. So if it and you can read a book like uh, like uh, pagan Christianity and have to stand on what you believe then you actually you know if you, if you disagree with what it says or something then you have to educate yourself or figure out why you believe that for sure but uh so so mary as well you are a former church planner and it's in from in france yes uh the south of france we suffered for jesus on the riviera <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah it was actually very hard um i say that as a joke but we spent about two and a half years church planting there and uh it was a it, talk about planting a church in the midst of uh, a pagan place. That was definitely it. And so we, we certainly learned a lot of lessons about when what you, is church you, and how to how to love folks. When you say that a pagan place, because like uh, we, you know, our band has toured in in Europe and, and a, a ton, and I we didn't actually have time to do much sightseeing because we we're always playing shows. But we did see churches, you know, everywhere, beautiful cathedrals. Uh, we were in in Metz, uh, France, and and saw just a beautiful cathedrals. So I still have pic- pictures of it, but that's what we all like. We came across so much that people just were completely uninterested in God or church or anything like that. Is, is that what, you, when you say came up against a pagan culture, what was it like? Yeah. Uh, the statistics are pretty scary. It's less than one half of 1% of people in France are evangelical Christians. Um, the Catholic number is, is not much better. Uh, I think it's, it's less than 5%, but that's not even people that go on Christmas and Easter. So only in word uh, I think the the Muslim population has grown to maybe uh, eight to ten percent in Europe, mm-hmm. and so it's just an interesting. Everybody else would just say I'm an atheist. So you you have yeah. a, a a huge gap of a lack of uh, religiosity, so to speak, but also a very strong pagan bent of spiritists and mediums and. I've been around the world. I've experienced spiritual warfare all over the world, but by far the worst was France. Give us some examples of that. What do you mean? <laughs> oh, boy, here we go. Um, <laughs> well, we, uh, every, I was used to having subtle attacks in the United States, and when I went overseas to, like, um, to Malaysia and, and to Ghana and to some of these other places where there might be more animistic cultures and things might be very overt, I was not ready for France to be overt. So, for instance, our daughter, who was in the first grade at the time, did not yet know Christ, and she was experiencing some really weird behavior, and 
we uh, we kept asking her. We thought maybe she was having culture shock or whatever, and we kept asking her all these questions. And finally, she bursts into tears and says she's hearing these these voices, and they're telling her to kick her brother, and they're telling her to disobey us. They're waking her up in the middle of the night. And this went on for a long time, for for several weeks, until um, she eventually did meet Christ. And I was a little hesitant to ask her, you know, are you still hearing those voices? Because I was pretty sure that they were not good voices, and I'm pretty sure they were demonic. And I was hoping that they would go away once she became a Christian. And she said, Mommy, the, the voices are gone, but there's one voice, and he tells me to make wise choices. And so I was so thankful that that was the voice of the Holy Spirit in oh, her life. Yeah. But that was kind of just very overt, o- over-the-top attack. And and that was, I mean, for you as a parent, I mean, that just sounds um, unbelievably scary. Like, we have a lot of, of, of listeners who aren't Christians, and so what is that like? Uh, I mean, what, what You know what I mean? Like, they that to them, that sounds so... F- not to pun because like, you're in a foreign country, but it sounds foreign uh, because, you know, like that idea of a spiritual attack or like what, like as a Christian, like hearing that and being a parent as well, what, what did you do? Did you just, you just prayed and just, I mean, were, were you petrified? Were you scared? Was your husband scared? We weren't scared because we, it was almost like the enemy had had shown his hand. And so we were like, Oh, okay, that's what that is. (laughs) And so we weren't scared, but we were, you know, concerned for her because it was very scary. And we also didn't want to push Jesus on her. We wanted her to make her decision. Um, We presented him, of course, and we let her know that the voices would go away um, once she met Jesus. But we also knew that this was something she had to own. And oddly, she, she heard about Jesus through some friends of ours that were taking care of her when we went on, we had to go to a leadership conference in, in uh, Lisbon and uh, they actually led her to the Lord. And, and then a few weeks later, we were able to baptize her in the Mediterranean Sea, which was really great. But yeah, I mean, if we had not been Christians, we wouldn't have, probably wouldn't have understood what was going on. Um, so you guys both have a really good background in church, church planting, church deconstruction. Uh, it's, you've studied it more than we have. We have a pretty broad set of experience from traveling and you know being in the Christian culture, but you guys seem to have really studied it and know the ins and outs of it. My question is, Frank and Mary, are we going off a cliff with our, with our church culture these days? Are we going to figure it out? What's going? I mean, what are we doing? What's going to happen in the future with the amount of people leaving and people coming up with new ideas and? people rejecting it. It seems like a really crazy time in church history. Where is it going? I don't have the foggiest idea. I'll pass it <laughs> on to Mary. I was hoping somebody would know. <laughs> well, I, I think actually, um, I think that persecution is going to benefit the church. You see the American church and what happened with beheadings in the past couple of weeks mm-hmm. um, and how that has kind of rallied the church. But I think also it has woken up the sleeping Western church to, to help them to realize this is real. This is life and death. And we're either going to play this game called Christianity and be a bunch of fakers and just try to look like a Christian from the outside. I mean, it's hard. That's how it is in the South. Everyone tries to look like a Christian. They may not be a Christian, but they try to look like one because everybody else is one, so to speak. Um, But you get to that place in persecution where you're either going to play the game and pretend, or you're going to really believe or not believe. You're going to make a choice. And so I think that as more persecution is ushered in, um, we're going to begin to see a separation of true Christianity versus playing the game because after a while playing the game isn't going to get you anywhere. 
and you're you're not going to you're not going to do that. So, so and like and Frank, you, you can ask what does what does church look like for you today? Like, I mean, are, like what do you you know do you go to a building or do you meet as a a group of cer- certain people? Like, what is what is your church look like? Yeah, well. Over the last 25 years, I left the institutional church, form of church, when I was uh, a very young man. It, this was 1988. Uh, and basically, I, I left for a variety of reasons. But one of the main things that got me out was that I, I wasn't knowing the Lord. Um, I, I grew very bored, and that provoked me to ask lots of questions. And the short of it was that myself and a group of other people, we all were in our 20s at the time, we just began to meet very simply. Uh, We would meet in coffee shops, we'd meet in homes, we'd meet in parks, and we were on a search to find out what the ecclesia was, that, that thriving, wonderful, powerful, amazing community that we saw in the first century, which also had a load of problems as well, but there was something really authentic about it. Yeah. And I guess it, the thing that really struck me was that these people in the first century were living in a time where selfishness was at high tide. People did not live very long. They were miserable. And yet there was these small clusters of people known as Christians who actually had joy. And not only that, but they took care of each other. And not only did they take care of each other, but when calamities and plagues would sweep through the cities of that day, it was the Christians who took care of the pagans. And so the world noticed, and that's why one person from antiquity said, behold how they love one another. And, And so, you know, we were trying to capture that reality, and we stumbled across an experience of church that wasn't perfect. It was still filled with problems. Uh, in fact, I would say filled with more problems because when you get to really know people, whether you're a Christian or not, you know, you get to really see that uh, everyone thinks they're normal until you get to know them. You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. As one <laughs> book puts it, uh, you get exposed. Your flesh gets exposed. But if you hang on and you find the Lord in the midst of that, <clears throat> real transformation occurs. And real love blooms, and it is the most powerful thing. So over the last 25 years, I've been just meeting in small groups of, of Christians, sometimes 20, sometimes 40. I guess the largest one was 60 in different cities. And um, we we have one pursuit, and that's to know Jesus Christ together, and that and that is to express him together in close-knit community. So, you know, for me, it's been revolutionary. It's been difficult as well. Um, I think the safest place to be if you're a Christian is in a pew somewhere listening to a sermon, you know, putting in your two hours and then going home and living your individual Christian life. And I don't downplay that because God uses that. Many people come to the Lord through, you know, a Sunday morning sermon. But there is something higher. There is something richer for those who want more. And so, you know, and I talk about that in the book, Reimagining Church. I tell my experience and also how I see it tying into the first century and, and the New Testament. Is there a leadership structure in that, in that small group setting, or is it just like people getting together and talking about God and everybody has a voice? Yeah, there's leadership, but it's, it's I'll use the term organic, uh, meaning that, you know, in most of these groups, um, 
you know, there, there, let's put it this way. There's not a clergy laity. You don't have paid professionals who do all the ministry and then everyone else kind of, you know, listens and, and, and pays the dues and is passive. Instead, yeah. everyone's functioning and everyone has different giftings. And when there is a crisis, those who, you know, are more seasoned and who are wiser, they come to the surface and, you know, they'll go ahead and give direction. But there are other times where the church may be making a decision and others might make make uh, uh, give direction or give an insight or say, hey, I think we need to do this. And if the rest of the group feels it's the Lord, they'll go along with it. And that can be a young Christian even. Yeah. So it's very fluid. It's based on function. It's based on gifting. It's based on spiritual seasoning. Uh, but there isn't this hierarchical thing. And, um, you know, that makes it more difficult on the one hand, but it makes it a lot more liberating on the other. Yeah. Um, but someone you, else had a question, I thought. I was going the same place Toby was with that. I was, I was wondering, would you, would you resist growing over 60? Like, do you like it? The state, it needs to stay small. You wouldn't have any ambition or even would thwart it from getting bigger. Yeah, no, it really depends on how old the group is, you know, um, because if the group has, if the group is very new, um, and everyone is, you know, we have a lot of new converts and people have just come to the Lord and all of this is brand new. No, we, I would not encourage multiplying the group at that point. You know, there, there are other people who believe that if you get 12 people, you've got to multiply. I don't subscribe to that. I think that be determined based on, you know, the health of the group, how old it is and so forth. And I have no problem with large churches. I have no problem with mega churches. You know, God uses all forms. But, you know, you asked me what my experience was, what my practice was, and, and it's, it's a bit different, I guess. Well, I think, what, I think what Toby and I struggle with a little bit being at megachurches is just our battle because we see exactly what you see. We see the unbelievable vision that our senior pastor has and just how God's using them for the last 25 years. But it's like all the time and energy that we're putting in to like a Sunday morning, we're just like, man, can't we channel that somewhere else that would be not even necessarily better, but like more efficient maybe, you know, and then you take in consideration, at least in the South, the many people that are going to church just to check it off their list and they're not wanting to grow. And some of them don't, are they're not even interested in accepting Christ. And it's like, these are the people that we're spending so much time trying to uh, win them over, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, I, all that being said, I mean, we, we see the unbelievable stories as well, you know, at our church, people coming to Christ and everything. One thing, one thing that you said, Mary, that I just totally agree with is just the whole persecution thing. I think it's crazy how so many Christians are praying for revival. So many Christians are praying for the church to be more vibrant and all that stuff. And then when you read the news and you see the Christian persecution, you see just how quote unquote evil this world is turning our prayers turn into, Lord, get us out of here. Lord, come soon. Lord, please rapture us. And it's just like, you, you, you got to take your pick because if you want to see true revival in the church, it's going to happen from persecution. I mean, there's, I just, I mean, would you agree with it being that simple? That's probably one of the number one ways for the church to really get their act together. Absolutely. I, I think that's where we, you know, we, we fall a bit short is quite a bit short is unity. And, you know, Frank and I differ, um, ecclesiology wise, I think, (laughs) 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 
but I, I, I empathize and I, I admire uh, his views and I have, um, I have done many of the things that he's done and we've planted cell churches. We've, we've done all sorts of church models and currently I'm just like you guys, I am smack dab in the middle of a big fat mega church. And yeah. I, I told the Lord and you know, you should never really tell the Lord anything because he'll laugh at you. But <laughs> I said, Lord, uh, when I moved to Texas from Seattle, I'm a Seattle Pacific Northwest girl. I said, I'm not going to a Southern Baptist church and I will never go to a mega church. And right now, my <laughs> husband is an elder at a huge Southern Baptist mega church, and we adore it and we love yeah. it. And I think the thing that makes it more frank like is that we um, are small churches within a large church. So my yeah, husband, I pastor a group of about 30 or 40 people every mm-hmm. Sunday, and I consider that church. But I I hear what you're saying about the big production on Sunday morning and um, all of that. It it seems kind of crazy. But when we settle into our little group, I'm like, okay, this is church. I'm with you. That's that's why you love your church is because the people that you love. So your new book is the the day I met Jesus, and you mentioned that it's part fiction and and part nonfiction. So how does that work? That's that's an unconventional book structure. It's um, five true stories of women from the New Testament, and they are, um, they are created in story arcs so that it, you have a beginning, middle, and end, a rising and all of that. But the words that they say, if they have dialogue, it's pulled right from Scripture. So it's mm-hmm. very closely tied to Scripture, but it fleshes out what their story could possibly be right before they met Jesus and then when they meet Him and how He changes their lives forever. And who are the five women in it? There are, um, there's the woman at the well, the woman who's caught in adultery, the prostitute who loves much, the desperate Samaritan woman, and uh, the, uh, what was the other one? Um, The woman with the flow of blood. Yes, the woman with the flow of blood. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. I had to look it up. Yeah, she suffered for 12 years. (laughs) Yes. Terrible disease. (laughs) Yeah. And what? Now, I wanted to go back to that, too. How did, how did you guys, I know you said you wrote this together on the internet, but, like, uh, Frank, how did you decide to work with a co-author on this book? Well, I had an idea some years back to create a new genre of Christian literature, um, which would basically take characters from the New Testament and have them tell their own story through their own words. Okay, Um, but to do it in such a way that was faithful to the first century and and closely tied to the New Testament. So it wasn't just fantasizing and imagining uh, like a lot of Hollywood movies do with the Bible. Right. Um, But to give it that autobiographical feel to bring these characters to life and then also to have a nonfiction section following this autobiographical fictionalized narrative but a nonfiction section that would make application to our lives today. And uh, the first book in this genre was called God's Favorite Place on Earth, Lazarus, who I think we all know Jesus raised him from the dead. He lived in a little village called Bethany, and he's an old man, and he tells a story of when Jesus came to his little town and all the amazing things that happened there. And it throws light on how important the little village of Bethany was to Jesus. It was actually the only place on earth that received him while he was here. He was rejected everywhere else. And so Lazarus tells the story, and then we have the nonfiction section bringing these points out. Well, I also had an idea at the same time to write a similar book, 
where some of the women in the Gospels told their story. And I am not a woman, so there's no way I could have (laughs) written that. So I was on the hunt for a a Christian fiction writer who was not only a remarkable writer, but who also shared a lot of the same (laughs) passions and views about the Lord that I did. And uh, I found Mary uh, shortly after, you know, my search. I knew she was a, a nonfiction author, but when I found out that she wrote fiction, you know, I just was elated. I was euphoric. And so she was the only name on my short list. And when I approached her about it, um, she said yes. And so that's that's how we rolled that ball. And um, a year later, we finished the book and it's it's it releases March 3rd. Yeah, I don't think that would have been well received if it was just from you, you alone. I can see the, the point I don't there. think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you needed that voice for sure. What uh, did you guys have any insights like after after writing this book? Did, did did a favorite character or one of the women, you know, stand out more than the other? Did the did the stories get more powerful? Um, I think for me, uh, I, I fell in love with all five women and I realized that there was a bit of me in all of them, which I think is the beauty of the Bible because it yeah. has such a grand stratosphere of people and we can kind of place ourselves within the story. I appreciated so much Mary of Bethany because she's a lot like your typical um, faithful Christian woman who just is trying to do the right thing and may not be recognized for it, may not be noticed for it, and might even be rebuked for being um, thrilled about Jesus. And so I, I appreciated her. The The other one that stood out to me, and I'm sure Frank has some favorites too, is the one he mentioned, uh, the woman with the issue of blood. She had a chronic condition that left her weak and probably emaciated and um, definitely iron poor. But also that condition ostracized her from the community, the very thing, the lifeblood of um, Israel. And and so she not only experienced this health abandonment, but a community. And so when Jesus restored her, everything got restored, everything. Mm-hmm. And so that yeah. was, it, it just really was powerful to me as I, as I wrote that. I, I like awesome. that you guys uh, wrote this book just because I do like... Uh, just bringing out more characters from the Bible, experiencing their stories and seeing, you know, because a lot of times the the Bible, people read it very in, in a very masculine way, I guess. And to see some some of that, and, and I, I agree, if it, Frank, if you'd have wrote this, it probably would have been more masculine than it needed to be. But I love that aspect of just uh, the, the bringing these characters to life experiencing these women as man they're they're very important parts of the bible too so i do i do really like that now you guys also are doing something cool with parable.com is that right frank yeah parable.com is a christian bookstore it's sort of the christian analog to amazon um but you know it's it's in the christian genre and they're really great people there we we know them and they are actually going to drop the price of the book the day i met jesus uh, below every other bookstore, including the great and mighty Amazon. Wow. And they're going to do that for two weeks from March 3rd to March 17th. And we want to encourage people to support Parable uh, to get the book from there. And if they buy the book from Parable.com between March 3rd and March 17th, we're going to give them a bunch of free bonuses that Mary and I have put together, some spoken messages that have never been released before, some ebooks uh, that kind of go along with some of the themes. And we just want to reward people for doing that. One of the things I want to talk about, too, and we have this in the introduction of the book, is that, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time. And I think that 
one of the things that many believers suffer from is the fact that the Bible can become so tired and so familiar that it in an effect becomes irrelevant and boring. You know, you, you, if you yeah. read the stories enough times um, without any kind of help to draw light from it and to, to gain insights that you normally wouldn't get, you know, without looking deeper, you know, it, 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 it just becomes laborious. And there's a story that we start the book out with where, you know, Jesus has just been crucified. Um, his disciples are now, you know, downtrodden. They're, they've lost hope. They've lost the Messiah. You know, everything they'd hoped for has been dashed to the ground. Yeah. And there's two disciples who are walking on the road to Emmaus. And interestingly enough, we point out that these two disciples are a couple. Uh, it's Cleopas and Mary, and they're married. And we show where we get this from. Anyway, they're walking, and all of a sudden, the stranger appears to them out of nowhere, and they don't recognize him. And he asks them what's wrong, and they explain, you know, we, we, thought, we thought we had the Messiah. We followed him all these years. We gave up everything, and he was just put to death, and we don't know what to do. And then this Luke, who's writing the story, he says, the stranger begins to open up the scriptures, beginning with Moses and the Psalms and the prophets. And what he does there is he retells the story. He tells it in a new way. He puts a new light on it. And as they're listening to the stranger retell the story, their hearts burn inside of them. And then they invite the stranger to their home, and they, they bid him a meal, and the stranger takes the bread, he lifts it up, and if you can imagine this in, in your mind, watch his hands lift up the bread, watch him break the bread, watch his arms extend, and at that point, it says their eyes were opened, and they recognized that this stranger was no stranger at all. It was Jesus of Nazareth. Now, what happened there? When he broke the bread, they saw the wounds in his wrists, and he vanished from their sight. And so what we're doing in this book is we're doing two things. One, we're telling the story differently. Uh, We're not departing from the biblical narrative. We're staying very close to it, but we're putting a, a fresh light on it. We're telling it through a new lens, as it were. And our whole reason is so that we will see Jesus anew and afresh. And whenever we recognize, whenever we're actually looking for the wounds, as it were, we our eyes are opened and we see Christ. And I think beyond seeing these women come to life who we've read over and over again in the Gospels and hearing them tell their stories, we're seeing the Lord Jesus Christ in a brand new, powerful way. And that was that's why we wrote the book. We want people to see Christ in a way they've never seen him before. And hopefully we've pulled that off. That's yeah, awesome. That I, I really good. like that. I do think, I, I love that that you guys opened that up. Now, the, I would be, like, honestly, if that was me, I was standing there, I realized it was Jesus, and then he disappeared. I'd probably go, ah! I'd probably, <laughs> I, I think I'd be petrified. I, I, I heard a sermon recently uh, talking about that, and the guy was just saying that, like, Jesus, that just shows how 
funny and a good sense of humor Jesus had. Like he was really messing with people. Like he he, he kind of they couldn't they couldn't tell who it was. And then all of a sudden he's like, "Look, it's me." Uh, and then all of a sudden they're just standing around in the upper room, and he just shows up and he goes, "Hey!" And everybody goes, "What?" He goes, "You got any fish? I'm hungry." <laughs> Have y'all heard the theory that a lot of people didn't recognize Jesus because, uh, like you know, how, Toby, if you've shaved your beard right now, there'd be some people that'd be like, "Whoa, I didn't realize that was yeah. you." Some yeah. people some people say that uh, part of the torture was pulling his beard out like they actually pulled and it out. that like when he rose from the dead he was beardless and that was now i've always heard that it was that it was his resurrected body so it definitely kind of looked radiant looked, yeah maybe yeah. a little different or something and honestly i guess people they weren't expecting to see him um, right. you know what i mean like if 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 i saw you die and right. then i was walking down the road and then all of a sudden you walked up to me i don't know if i would think it was you or not but yeah, I, don't, I don't know i do have a unique walk though i'm pigeon-toed yeah, yeah who knows? <laughs> well you know what was interesting too is that in all those accounts when the resurrected christ appears to his disciples people who should know him it's when he speaks that they recognize him yeah either that or when he breaks bread as he did with this couple on the road to emmaus it's voice activated and i think that he was teaching them that they were going to know him in a new way, not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And there, there's a whole teaching there too, but I, I really think it was instructive that they recognized the voice. Remember when he was in the garden and Mary was talking to him, she thought he was the gardener, uh, which is interesting because you know the whole fall um, occurred in a garden, and here now the new creation begins in a garden, and she's talking to him as if he's the gardener, and then when he says Mary, that's when she recognizes who she's talking to. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. All right, guys, so the book is called The Day I Met Jesus, The Revealing Diaries of Five Women from from the Gospels, and that releases on March 3rd, and on parable.com from March 3rd to March 17th, you can get the lowest price around to buy the book. So go there in between March 3rd and March 17th, and you can get not only the book at the lowest price, but a lot of bonuses from Frank and Mary. Guys, thank you so much. You guys also have a website for the book called thedayimetjesus.com. But thank you guys so much for joining us today. We sure do appreciate it. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I just want to say, it, you know, guys that, uh, like you guys that think progressively, we need people like that that are also not going to be quick to throw stones at the church. I know we yeah. get we get criticized for that all the time, and it's just people that misunderstand us. But the last thing we need are people that are thinking differently and throwing rocks at people that are doing you know what we yeah. think is old and primitive. So thank you guys. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thanks. All right, Frank and Mary, thank you guys so much. That was a pretty interesting old conversation. There. Gotta... Well, it's always good when you can have more females represented on this old podcast. Oh, I know. Just yeah, to keep we'll... away, you know, just to meet the quota. We, we still got to get our wives on here, man. No, don't want the wives. <laughs> don't really want any women. There's the, there's a regulations from the government that specify we have to have one every, you know, so that's all it is. Just filling in the checkbox, folks. So My, Mighty American Christian of you, Matt. Go ahead, <laughs> Andy. Uh, Andy. <laughs> Go ahead, Joey. <laughs> Was that Andy Nichols or Andy Gill? I don't know what I'm saying. I'm in Australia, dude. So one thing that, Matt, you say a lot as far as the future of the church, we should always maintain an element of excitement. It's nothing to be afraid of. And I have to admit that when having conversations like we just had with Frank and Mary, I definitely get, if I'm not careful, I get consumed with fear. Fear of uh, what? Well, just fear of, okay, well, well what what do we do about the homosexual issue, for example, like, is is there going to be a time when it's just not acceptable for any churches to have any sort of pushback on it? And if so, what does that mean? Is the uh, and and then I think about my kids. That's a but tough no, yeah, one for but me. no, but with the fear, like, try to 
articulate it in just a word or a phrase. What are you afraid of? Um, the church failing, um, you not going to it. Uh, what like what would be the ultimate f- fail? Would be the ultimate bad thing that could happen would be what? I think fearful of how worthless a lot of the stuff we may be doing right now uh-huh. already currently uh-huh. is. Now that is really interesting. Let me stop you there. So what you're not, what, what 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 and I think you represent probably everybody. So let's think about it slowly here. What we're not afraid of is that the church doesn't exist. What we're not afraid of is Jesus oh, yeah. doesn't say, I know, we're not afraid of that, oh, well, back in the 2000s, we used to have church, and unfortunately, now there's no more Christians. It, it ended. That's well, Nobody's afraid of that, because nobody believes that's going to happen, and it's not going to happen. Right. And so you're not, so what you're really, what you're really worried about and feel insecurity about is, are we going to look stupid for what we're doing now? Are we wasting our time? What stuff are we doing wrong? Will we be invalidated later? And that's a weird fear. Yeah, I'm not worried about uh, looking stupid, but I I do have, uh, like, it can really mess me up if I'm thinking, man, we're spending a lot of time doing such and such, and maybe it's not doing a whole lot of good. Right. But here's where I really get fearful is when I think about my kids, what what can we do to help their generation not just see everything as bullshit? Well, to me, that's step one. to me, that's what I'm saying. My, I'm very excited about the church our kids can, will make. The next two or three generations, the church that they create is what I'm excited about. Yeah. And the best way to get them to make it is to clearly allow them to know that a lot of what we do is bullshit. Let's get rid of it. I don't right. need to. I don't need to say, okay, but trust me, it's really good. You just have right. to trust me. You just have to trust me, and then maybe you can change it ten percent. I want our next generation to look up, go, this is total bullshit. Here's what we're going to do. Yeah. That's what I look forward to. That's what I'm excited about. I'm not afraid of that. I think even going back to the music thing what uh, we were talking about earlier, I, I do believe that we are teaching people that faith is just about you. And, and, and this, this goes beyond Christianity. Everything is like, oh, how do you feel? And you're, you have to get right with, you know, it's all about you, you, you. That, that's the biggest thing we have to change is like, I mean, we create songs all the time to remember things and learn things. And, but our songs that we sing at church are about us. I'm going to do this. I will worship you. I, 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 it's all I. And, but I mean, like, that's not what a, the ABC song's about or some of the songs you learn about, uh, you know, Father Abraham or, or whatever it might be. You learned uh, cer- certain things. When, and so I think that we are teaching, when you were talking about being worried about what you're teaching your kid, I think if, you, if this stays the same, what you're teaching them is, hey, it's all about you. And yeah. so that's more dangerous to me than and it's about facing the question about yeah. it's protect if you're if if the church needs protecting, that's not that's not right. It right. doesn't need protecting to make sure that it doesn't something bad doesn't happen. And I don't we just cannot pick out certain sins that are so bad that that's the one we really gotta focus on. That's what I'm saying. Like we make it about us. How do I feel about homosexuality? How does it make me look to be I mean, part I, of I it? I mean, if I read the Bible, I can come to a determinate if I say the Bible is true, I'm then what it says I believe to be true. Okay, that's what it is. I don't have to make some determination like, how do I feel about homosexuality? How do I do that? I mean, what I definitely know the Bible says is love people, treat them graciously, invite them, uh, uh, go to where they're at, have them come to where you're at, be friends, all these things. So if you start there, those other things, uh, whether they're sins or not sins or whatever, will work themselves out. I do assure you that there will be many doctrines, or several doctrines, I should say, out of probably hundreds of major ones, that in the coming years, the next 40, 50 years, will be widely differently held. 
Yeah. It is going to change. There's going to be stuff that's like, oh, yeah, back then they were all about this, but now it's this way, or now we see it this way as a culture well, at here, large. And here's, I don't know what those things are. Now, and we may, we may get it wrong, more wrong in the future, or we may get it more right. Well, but, he, you know. Here's one thing that I, I certainly predict, and I almost guarantee you this will happen, is I want you guys to think about when, when Jesus rose rose from the uh, dead and then ascended, there was no New Testament. There wasn't anything that people considered Scripture. If you ask somebody, hey, why do you believe in Jesus? They don't mention the Bible. They say, well, maybe they say, well, he fulfilled the prophets and all that stuff, but they're just like, well, because he rose from the dead. I think one thing that the church is really going to evolve into is people's faith is not going to be linked as much to the to God's Word but more to because I'm pretty sure this Jesus exists. Because I do think we're getting to a place to where more and more and more people are just, they're not going to hear anything people have to say about God's Word because they just see so many different things messed up with it. And I think Dave Bazan uh, touched on this as well as far as just you know, looking at it as as inerrant is a yeah. He huge believes that that's going to be a big shift that's going to move away from now. Me personally, it makes me really uncomfortable. I like the the I like the emphasis being on God's word. I, that's my preference. Right. I prefer that. It makes me feel the safest and most secure. Right. So, but what I'm saying is, there's a lot of issues over the past hundred, two hundred, five hundred years that the church was getting wrong women's rights or right. civil yeah. rights or anything like that, and now we feel like we're getting more right. But there may be other stuff that we were getting right previously that we're getting wrong now, and we might get stuff wrong in the future. We may move away from biblical inerrancy wrongly, or right. we may move away from it rightly. Right. I don't know. Well, I mean, but you, I can't protect my preferences and, and try to enforce them, and, and I want my kids and other people to go to God, the Holy Spirit, and the Word, and, and do what they're supposed to do. Well, it can't you, be you, about what I, my convictions, I can't try to push or force those or protect them, or be afraid of them. That's all I'm saying. Well, you tell me, Matt, what would you have done in uh, 50 AD when you're trying to put faith in a Messiah, but there's nothing necessarily that you can read and say, well, this is God's Word, so I know that it's true. I'm I'm assuming I would have done what the people then did. I'm not snobby enough to think I would have been... I mean, if I was... In Alabama in the fifties, I imagine I'd have been a lot more racist than I am if I was in. You know what I mean? I I, I think I'm assume I would have done what everybody else at the time was doing. Right, most likely. Well, a lot of them were putting their faith in Jesus. Yeah, and I think being oh, radically changed without the Bible. But yeah, I don't know. But I like the the biblical inerrancy and the word and all that. I, to me, that's I, I like that. It, one, it's but. always freaky to me when I think about uh, the time like that four hundred years in between the Old Testament and the New yeah. Testament. Isn't that crazy? Like yeah, it's like quiet. almost silent. Yeah, creepy. Yeah, I mean. It'd be a good movie or book to have. Yeah, I mean, just if, quiet, if you scary. were born during that time, you, you know, pretty much you didn't hear anything. Or yeah, I mean, I know they were still talking about God, and they were they had the Old Testament and stuff like that. But I mean, it's weird that there weren't any prophets or anything. Like, See like, that that to me, the, it's just not word. recorded. Just recorded, but yeah, it's just not recorded. That's yeah. true. It wasn't important enough for God to put it in there. I mean, I mean there's 400 years where God was like, yeah, they don't need it. Basically, uh-huh. you have to look at it this way: there are things that. That that has to be founded on and 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 truth. There has to be a way that you can have something concrete that you can reference that you know is a source of absolute truth. I see the bullshit you know direction saying? that you're going with this. <laughs> Toby, is this canonized? Do you have your news with Toby in, in a uh, world canon? where even in Australia, you know what? It's funny. Being here in Australia has increased your nasal voice ten percent. <laughs> <laughs> How about some damn news with Toby Morrell? Here you go. This is Toby Morrell, and I'm about to report the damn news. And I got a little treat. All this news is for Joey. 
You got news all for Joe? Yeah, what all, do you mean? Well, it, it, all, well, the, all the stories. Uh, Christian, kind of a, culture, pastor related, kinda, church, yeah. this or that. It kind of applies to Joey. Why would, would you? Why would you, you know, just succumb to Joey's pressure is what I don't I understand. Just, I love Joey, and I want, I want us to come to a resolution here oh, about, right. about my news. So okay. my first story kind of... The tension's uh, killing you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... I can't hardly take it The working tension around the studio here it's, is just... It's unbearable. You know, I mean, everything about our podcast is great except for the tension about our news. And All right, I just well, can't so take what it. do we got? All right, well, let's wait for a second because I, I need Joey to be here to hear it, and Joey... Took a break to All go right, pee. So Joey's you on probably break can hear pee. Joey urinating right now. And that was a kidney stone that just fell in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Joey, so you probably like, what, one out of five times you go pee pee, there's blood? Is that true? Well, let me say this. That's the best I've ever felt about news with Toby because I imagined pissing all over your head just now while I was peeing. So Man, I feel really good now. I would love to be in one of your counseling sessions, Pastor Joey, where you talk to people and, and, and care for them. Oh, I care Do for pastoral people. care for them. I speak very positively to people I love. I, all these news articles apply for to you. you. So I, I was trying to give you an olive branch. Okay, so depression, I thought this first one was depression, really interesting. kidney stones, ball and socket joints. <laughs> No, my first one actually says, what does family Christian bookstores bankruptcy mm-hmm. mean for Christian hip-hop? Oh, this is right up your alley. That's Wow, that's interesting. I know. So, so there we go. Uh, thank a- you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I need. I used to work that's at like family Christian stores. I know you store. did. Like, I, I know you did. something to think about here. I know, my Lord. Uh, uh, th- th- this actually comes from Rapzilla, I think. the book It says, Grand Rapids-based fa- uh, family Christian bookstores, or FCS, filed a Chapter 11 bankruptcy last week. Now, also, I don't know what, totally what that means. Does that mean they're not going to pay some of their debts? They're going to just... Those... Chapter 11 means you can get absolved of debts. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that doesn't seem right to file for bankruptcy and not pay your debts. But, hey, Christians. Uh, FCS <laughs> is the largest physical re- retailer of Christian books, music, and gifts in the United States, consisting of 267 stores in 36 states. And, Joey, you worked at one of those, you said, right? Yep. So, here's the deal. FCS accounts for nearly 50% of all physical Christian music sales, although physical... What percent, you said? 50% 50 of all physical physical Christian music sales, meaning hard CDs or whatever. Although physical sales have steadily been declining, this is where the entire music industry used to earn virtually all its revenue, according to the Record Industry Association of America, or RIAA. The reality is that artists, record labels, and the companies distributing them, which pour their souls and finances into creating and producing music, will will hit right where it counts, the balance sheets. But it says, however, the implications for on Christian hip-hop moving forward are limited. The concept of a Christian bookstore is dated, according to Humble Beast recording artist Propaganda, who admitted that this change won't affect him or Humble Beast directly because they, right don't, they don't physically distribute music. Yeah, anyway. He said the fact that they are going under is kind of a sign of the times, he said. The awesome. industry is just moving on. Love it. So basically, this article goes on just to say that a lot of the uh, Christian hip hop are going to be really affected by that because that was like one of the number one oh, yeah. places yeah. that they sold physical copies. Yeah, definitely. So I, I mean, I, we've been seeing it coming, but I mean, what what does that mean for Christian music? Because that was a huge outlet. Like, what is that? Are, are people just going to all music's going to be online, or are Christians? Going to move that way? Well, they let, just let's start with a report of how it actually affects us and our music okay. business. So we just got the statement and check in for the first uh, check from the Classic Crimes Physical Distro from their album that we put out. Yeah. Now, half of the sales that we got of physical were from Christian distribution, not necessarily from that store, but fifty percent of the CDs that we shipped to stores were Christian. 
distribution outlets. So if that market's going down, then, I mean, that's literally money that the classic crime and right. then some portion of BC music uh, that hurts us in that way, you might think. But to me and to us, I agree with propaganda 100%. Let's move it on. If it, and, and if anything, that lets you know one thing, that if there's not a market for something, it goes away. If there was a market for it, it would still be there. So basically, if you're only surviving because you're um, – you can somebody can sell you to somebody that there's not a demand for. Yeah. Then that's all it was in the first place. Because if anybody wants propagandist music, if anybody wants the right. classic crimes music, they can get it. Yeah. So the only people that hurts is people that nobody cared about their music in the first place. Does that make sense? Like, yes. if you only are selling, if it if it's labeled Chris, generic Christian hip hop, and a certain amount of soccer moms will buy that because it's safe. Well, then who? I don't care about that. I hope they do fail. That's what I'm saying. So that's okay. I agree with you, but my question is, will Christians transition and start buying Christian music, or is it just going to go to, well, whatever's on Christian radio? We'll just, like, we'll does just, Christian radio now get the upper hand? Like, they just, that, like, all artists that are played there, that's how you'll get your Christian music and know who, who to buy when you go online. Yes. I mean, the Christian consumers are still going to be lazy in general. Right. So that's, just, that's what I'm saying. Like, this is going to really affect Christian hip-hop, because if, if you are a fan of hip-hop, and you or you're... Your kids are, or whatever, and you want to go buy that record. You're not going to search out cool hip hop. Well, then music. why is propaganda not worried? That's what I'm saying. He's not worried though because he our stuff they, isn't they, even in those stores. Well, they jump, they jump, right. they jumped ahead and are putting out there great music. But I'm saying go the majority. It. I do believe on a certain level, if propaganda's music was in a store, he would have a bigger okay, audience. Christian artist, your crutch is gone. Now it's time for you to get real. Oh yeah, sure. That's all I'm saying. So that's not bad to well, me. No, that's no, yes, good. yes. Crutch I agree is gone. Here, here's, here's we've benefited from the crutch. I agree I'd with be you. glad to ship more units if more stores open. Fine, it's, right. it's helped Emory, but the crutch is not there. So you're going to get Listen your chops the, up and you got to move forward. Listen to the irony. If this would have happened uh, four years ago, then we're talking about Lecrae. Yeah, being really affected, but, but, but he he but was you're able not affected. to. You're just you. Ch- things change. Nothing stays the same. You adapt. So now you just have a reason to adapt and do something different. That's, it's not really negative unless you just are lazy or you just want to rely on the crutch. So it wouldn't have hurt Lecrae. I mean, it would hurt. It would have changed. In fact, it might change you for the better because now you're not relying on something that's too easy. You yeah. have to actually go work for it and figure it out. I'm optimistic. Did y'all know when I worked at uh, Family Christian Stores, we had to just keep the boxes of the Bibles. Uh, for sale on the shelves, and the Bibles stayed in the back because people would steal Bibles. <laughs> like people would steal eighty dollar Bibles. <laughs> All right, next story, guys. This one also, Joey, is for you because it goes back to what you were talking about earlier. You you brought up homosexuality. All right, daughter of two moms comes out against gay marriage. This is by Beth Greenfield. Daughter of two moms. Okay. Yep. A South Carolina woman's new essay about being raised by her lesbian mom contains a surprising revelation. She opposes. Marriage equality. Gay community, I am your daughter. My mom raised me with her same-sex partner back in the 80s and 90s, writes Heather Barwick, a 31-year-old mother of four. I'm, and she wrote this in The Federalist. I'm writing to you because I'm letting myself out of the closet. I don't support gay marriage, but it might not be for the reasons that you think. It's not because you're gay. I love you so much. It's because of the nature of same-sex relationship itself. Barwick, who also recently shared her story with the Christian publication... 
Uh, and, and she signed on to a letter of support to the designers at Dolce & Gabbana for their controversial statements. Um, wouldn't, wouldn't speak more about it, uh, but she says in her essay, she explains that when she was two or three, her mother, who already knew that she was gay, left Barwick's father to have a relationship with a woman. Her partner treated me as if I was her own daughter, she writes. Along with my mom's partner, I also inherited her tight-knit community of gay and lesbian friends. Her father, meanwhile, wasn't a great guy and didn't bother coming around anymore. As she grew up with her loving mom and stepmom, Barwick writes, her family taught her how to be brave, how to have empathy, how to listen, and how to stand up for herself, even if that meant that you stand alone. And for a while into her 20s, that, mean, that meant being an advocate for gay marriage. She said same-sex marriage and parenting, um, but now she's had a change of heart. Same-sex marriage and parenting withholds either a mother or father from a child while telling him or her that it doesn't matter, that it's all the same. But it's not, she writes. A lot of us, a lot of your kids are hurting. My father's absence created a huge hole in me, and I ached every day for a dad. Wow. That's that's interesting. Uh, it's very interesting. I mean, well, first of all, you know, <laughs> to me, that, that boils down to, first, that's a slam dunk for so many people to hear that. It's like... So many people, so many, are like, and by yes. people you mean Christians. Yeah, I mean that's like, like yeah. yes, see or right, whatever. And, see. I, and I, I cringe at people taking it that way. But at the same time, I'll acknowledge her statements. I don't that think that sounds shitty or like she's trying to just right. get attention. Um, that's so. I, I think that's a legitimate and respectable point of view. I think she makes good points. Here's here's how I hope people don't twist that. That doesn't. I mean, think about it this way. She would also admit that she's way better off with those two lesbian m- m- moms sure. than she would have been with her shitty dad and the floozy he ran off with. Right. She would have been worse off with those two heterosexual parents. So all, so right. I actually totally agree. I think the best thing for a kid is a man and a woman, right. theoretically. Yes. However, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of couples that are gay that I would rather have raise my daughter than thousands and thousands of couples that are way worse than oh, heterosexual. Sure. Well, I think so that's, that what she's that's just to a say. factor. Yeah. It's, a, it's definitely a factor and, and worth evaluating. She said that it gave her a lot and it meant a lot to her and that they loved her and treated her graceful, graciously and all that stuff. I, I guess I totally agree with you. I think just because it takes a man and a woman to have a baby. I mean that it, it takes that. So, it's optimum. So, I, so, I, I mean agree that, with that has optimum. to that has to be yeah. the best way. Now after that, you're right. If your dad's shitty or your mom's shitty, and you and they, you know what that looks like or what that means. But she might would even say it would have been better if my mom left that crappy dad and found a better sure. dad or something. Like that. But at the same time, then you so go divorce fine, isn't necessarily it's right. It's totally respectable opinion yep. and my opinion that man and a woman parent is optimum. I right. completely agree it's optimum, but that alone is doesn't but, classify people but, as good well, what parents. Christians, I think, you would can say, definitely have lesbian parents that are better than, than, than heterosexual sure, parents. Sure, sure. I think the, the, the pushback would be just they would say people who are against uh, homosexuality or, or uh, homosexual marriage um, would say, well, you're just trading uh, one sin for another sin, so that doesn't make it like you know what I mean. That that's their argument. That's what they would say. Hey, why not just marry uh, you know another man or marry another woman if you're a man, you know, or or raise your kid on your own or whatever it might be. So I think the arguments all all kind of fall apart a little bit at, on certain levels because um, it's just it's such a a interesting thing. I I think I appreciate what she said and I agree with you too. Yeah. I mean, I don't think she's saying gay parents are bad or. or what you can't do, what you make, can't do, is use stuff like this as ammo to to right. blast people or vindicate your point, or whatever. Parenting is a, is individual. Uh, it's a case by case. I'd rather right. you know, uh, 
you have to make the best decision for the right. best people at the time, and then you know you can't use this respectable point of view to bash people. You can't yeah. do that. That's all. All right, my last bit of news, and this applies to Joey, because um, I'm excited for you. This this last news article I have is makes me really happy for your future, because I know you struggle. A weight loss program. Nope. Doc's perform first successful penis transplant. <laughs> I am, dude. I'm overjoyed by the news here. So happy. Doctors have performed. <laughs> this comes from Sky News. Doctors have performed the world's first successful penis transplant, the nine-hour operation by surgeons in Cape Town. Where's Cape Town at? South Africa. Offers hope to high numbers of South African men who lose their penises due to complications with traditional circumcision. Woo! Experts thought the unnamed 21-year-old patient who had to who had to have his penis amputated three years ago after circumcision circumcision would take two years to regain all function. However, it has taken just four months for this to occur, resulting in December's operation uh, being declared a success. The surgery was five five years in the planning, um, and it it was led by Professor Andre Van der Marie, who said we are very surprised by his rapid recovery. It's a massive breakthrough. <laughs> we proved that it can be done. We can give someone an organ that is just as good, if not better, as the one that he had. There is a greater need in South Africa for this type of procedure than elsewhere uh, in the world, as many young men lose their penises every year due to complications from traditional from adult, circumcision. As an adult, they get circumcised. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Okay. So, so that here's the obvious question: Experts estimate as many as 250 penis amputations take place every year across South Africa. Okay, so here's the here's what we here's what everybody needs to or wants to know about this. Where do the donor organs come from? Does it does it say in there? Uh, let's see. Someone that died. I, I, I mean, obviously, yeah, it's just or, it's just it like a traditional organ donor. So so if you check or if there or maybe that yep. that's the it's way just, it is here. If I check organ donor on my driver's license when I renew it, does that mean that my dong might get given to somebody else if I have a car crash? Yes. Okay. I imagine that's the case. That's super yep. cool. By yep. the way, how do you feel? Do you feel differently? About your dong on another man than you do about your heart, or think think about you having uh, someone else's dong. Listen, That's what I thought. No, no, no. I like it the other way around. I like, well, I'm in the ground, but my dong still killing. <laughs> I love that. It's just going right? on. Like, hey, I mean, I'm, I'm not accountable for. There's it, a piece of me that will live yeah, for a lot. <laughs> just think about it. That, that's awesome. What My if, dong's out there getting What if you could like come that's back killer. as a ghost in your dong? Well, that what, would be really crazy. What if, so I love I love it. I, I give mine. Somebody can use it. Yeah, what if, if you're go. What if you're a famous person? <laughs> People uh, and you want out there be so happy to have my dog. <laughs> <laughs> what if you're What if you're a famous person and you want to get some extra money for uh, your kids? And so in your will, yeah. you auction off on eBay. You're done. Like well, you, imagine that, if no, you that's could, all that's illegal. That's just straight up illegal. What if all, what if you could organs. bid for Brad Pitt's penis? No. No. Well, that, and they then you can tell all the now, girls. Yeah, the other side that I think is weird is would how would you feel right now, Matt, if something happened to your wiener, and then a year from now you exactly got exactly the opposite as I feel about the other? Because now I'm at home, I'm doing my thing with my wife, and she's like, "Honey, this is that's amazing." I go, "Yeah." All right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like if she loved it. Like, like what if you had sex with your yeah. wife, then your penis accidentally got cut off, and then you got a new penis. She was like, now this is, yeah. Yeah, so Hell I, yeah. That'd be a that'd be a bummer, you know what I mean? So you're you're better yeah. off to be the donor. I think that that's the win on that. Yeah, or uh, I mean, like, what if you, you know, like the dong looked different or it was a different race or whatever I, it might be. You know what I mean? Like your your wiener just yeah. wasn't you. Like, yeah, I would feel I'd feel bummed on that. I mean, I'd be glad, I'd be thankful. 
I don't. Know? Yeah, I think guys they they their wiener is so much a part of them that yeah, it would be I, hard I, to yeah, accept another wiener. But like, like now, at the same time, this guy got a new wiener. He's gonna get to have sex and everything. Like yeah. imagine no right. sex. You're like, okay, I'll take a wiener. Yeah, but will this turn into guys that were born with like a micro penis getting to get a bigger penis? That will happen at some point. I think. Probably. I think it'll have to. Right. But just for the record, there's no organs cannot be bought, sold, auctioned. Like you can't. You can't. It's illegal for you to buy my kid. There'll be a no black matter, market. No matter how for much that, we though. want, there to. will be a black market but, for that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, there'll there'll be people who are massively in debt, and they'll go, "Yeah, just take my penis and I, here, I got I'm out of debt now or something." The, you know? It is possible with medical technology that it'll be cheaper and cheaper to where the black market could increase. Like the you know bio yeah. uh, biotech stuff could be uh, could be a simple at home kit with a 3D printer where right. you'll be able to do crazy techno. You know, like yeah, you're right. Replace your own. I mean, they'll be able, they'll in, be able in, to heart hundred years. Won't they be able to yeah. create? Yeah, they'll be able to create organs soon, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but just, right now you nobody could it's probably not pull it off too well. But in the future, yeah, I mean theoretically we'll be able to do that kind of stuff with our home stuff and computers and 3D printers and stuff. So we've got some folks from the BC Club that supported this penis news, and I'd like to uh, give them some shout-outs. We have Adam Brewster, Chelsea Casper, Jared Medved, mm. Julian Williams, Woo! Luke Canfield, Ryan Hicks, Torin Murphin, Zach Griffiths, Shannon Terry, Matt Mayer, Ken- Kenrick Gockenbach. Bring it. And last but not least, Joel Malin. Now, let me tell you something. First of all, thank you. Can they get a little applause there, Matt? I mean, they, they support everything we do, man. Damn. Yeah. Um, so here's something really cool that a lot of people may not know. About five of these folks are in the BC Club Triple Down, and they got Pacific Gold recently for mm-hmm. free. They're going right. to get Abandoned Kansas here in the future for nice. free. They're going to get the new damn Emory That's right. for free. Every single BC release, they don't even have to worry about it. They're going to get an email. Are you that kidding sa- right now? You better not be kidding. I am not kidding. They're going to get an email that says, hey, go ahead and download this new CD. So $21. Or physical CD. Yeah. Yeah, physical CD too. To so anyway, all, all of that aside, we really and truly appreciate you BC clubbers that give at any levels. Thank you. And uh, yeah. Thanks for supporting the penis news today. Yeah, Matt, you know how like sometimes uh, a belly button's an any or an Audi, right? Joey's wiener is an any. <laughs> <laughs>